Last, uh, last, if you were with us last week or if you caught us online, you noticed that we started talking about ministry. What scripture uh, would help us learn about doing ministry and what that is and what it's like or what it should look like or what it could look like. And if, if you were here, you should remember that we talked about washing feet. Everybody that was here was like, but really it wasn't about washing feet at all, was it? It was about serving, learning how to serve, learning how to put someone else before self or above self or ahead of self and taking uh, advantage of opportunities where we can lead people to Christ by way of serving them in their need or in any which way the Lord would help us uh, realize. And that's part of what ministry is or doing ministry is serving. In, in any good Bible college would tell any young person that's in their first year of study that's trying to go into full-time ministry that be, they would need to be prepared to learn how to be a servant in order to be successful in ministry. And I always, I like that term full-time ministry. In case y'all didn't know, if I didn't make this point last week, I'm not the only one in the room that's in full-time ministry. You understand what I'm saying? We're, we're all, every person who's saved is charged with the task, the responsibility to carry the gospel into the world for the purpose of putting it in front of people so that they might receive the truth and make a decision as to whether they're going to receive it or not. That's, that's the task. That's the mission. How we do that is called ministry. And there's many ways to minister to others. There's many ways that the Lord ministers to us. Today, we're going to look in Luke chapter 10 and talk about probably one of the most famous or well-known stories that Jesus ever taught. We know it as the Good Samaritan story, right? And every time I teach uh, and preach about common stories or common parts of scripture it's almost in the back of my mind that okay those who have been saved for a while have just checked out because we've heard this sermon before not true <laughs> you've heard this story before and you've heard jesus has taught this story plenty of times and you may have heard sermons and bible studies about this text but just pay attention to what maybe the spirit of god may be trying to get your attention about this morning because the word of God is living and it is alive and well every time we read it we will learn something or be reminded of something same stories same scriptures same savior same truth but it's the Lord who applies that truth so just pray about that while we're searching the scripture this morning I'm really going to do a little bit different than I, I guess, normally do. I think I am. I'm just going to break down this whole story for you and talk about it a little bit. And then hopefully we're going to get a big idea or we're going to get something to carry home with us as it helps us understand what is ministry. 
how do we do ministry? Because if you, if you remember last week, I pointed out that if any church is going to make disciples and uh, be a blessing to any community, they must be doing ministry. And I, I hope that we got that picture that it is proper and appropriate to attend church and worship like we are doing this morning. It is, it is proper and appropriate and necessary to come to Bible studies, whether it's at church or in your homes, according to Scripture. But if that's all we're doing, then we're not about the Lord's business. Okay? And that is just a reminder. I don't mean that as a condemnation or an accusation. It is a reminder of who we are and what Jesus died for. If Jesus died for me to sit on the couch and watch YouTube until Sunday and then come in here and then go home and go back to watching YouTube all day, I don't think so. (laughs) Or whatever it is y'all do in your spare time. He wants us to be busy. He wants us to be working for the kingdom, working in the harvest field. And, and I think if you're, if you're like me over the years, there's been much frustration about how I'm doing that. And there's been times throughout the years that I've been saved where I've felt I'm working, I'm trying to work really hard at making disciples, at being the witness, at bringing in the harvest, at whatever the Lord would want me to do, and it's not happening. Or at least I'm not feeling like it's happening or I'm not seeing it happen. The question really comes down to, when I look at self in the mirror, is are you you actually doing ministry or are you just spinning wheels? Are you actually doing the things that Jesus taught and that Jesus showed how to do? Remember last week? Jesus didn't just tell the disciples to serve others. He actually washed their feet and had to teach them that they needed to let him do that for him. And then he asked them, do you, do you know what I've done to you? And, and I presented the question to us all is, do we really know what Jesus has done to us? Do we know how he served us in that way when he went to the cross, when he washed our sins away with his blood? when he gave himself up as a sacrifice so that we might be saved. And then the question, once I understand that or once I have some kind of grasp on that, then I say to myself, am I doing what Jesus did for the world, for people in the world? And if you're not careful, that'll hit you right between the eyes. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because that requires an assessment about what I'm willing to do for somebody else. Am I willing to sacrifice for other people? Am I willing to suffer for someone else, to serve someone else? Today, we're going to talk about how ministry is helping others. Now, sometimes people get, uh, the, the, your minds are deeply focused on what I'm saying. And you're dividing everything I'm saying up and you're trying to make sense of it. I can see it on your faces. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't helping serving? Uh, Yes. Yes, it is. When you help others, you're serving others. You can't help others without serving others. You can't serve others without helping others. 
you see. And as long as we continue down this road of looking at what ministry is, what it looks like, and what is involved, you will find that everything is tied together. You should say, praise the Lord, because you understand that, that this makes everything easy then. I keep saying that to y'all, and y'all are like, it ain't easy. We know it's not. It is easy when we surrender to what the Lord's doing. I, I hear you. I know that's the hard part, but it, once we surrender, if we would focus on surrendering, then the Lord would have his way, and ministry becomes a natural thing. All right, let's look at this particular scripture Luke chapter 10 verse 25 to 37 we're going to break it down verse 25 to 29 to start with it's going, uh, Jesus is uh, once again teaching and he's around uh, he's around some people who are study they study the law right chapter 10 verse 25 here we go and he's, he's always doing this. He's always standing around uh, swapping intellectual thoughts with those who think they know, right? And he's always finding ways to really cause them to teach themselves what's real. He, he, he was, he's a master at doing that. And if we would pay attention to the word of God as we study it, he would be doing the same for us. Look at verse 25. It says, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, which was common in his, when he was around in the, on the planet. They were tr- constantly testing him, constantly trying to get him uh, either to understand him or to trip him up, to call him uh, some kind of blasphemer and whatnot. They're trying to test him. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26 says, and he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? There's the question that we should focus on. For whatever, whatever we learn from the story of the Good Samaritan, it's, he's telling that story because of this question. All right? And yes, as believers, as Christian people who have the Spirit of God living in us, we should go and do good things. It's 2024, right? Amens are permissible. We should go and do good things, right? That's what we would do because we love people. But that's not the question. He didn't ask, how should I act? He didn't ask, should I be a decent person? He didn't ask, uh, what should I do for these people or those people? He said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, how do I be saved? Hello? How, how can I be saved? And you notice Jesus didn't say what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 with the help of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be your answer if someone asked you that question? Everybody say, yeah, that's my answer. I want that to be your answer because that's what Scripture's answer is. But Jesus didn't say that. He just said, what's written in the law? What does the law tell you? You know the law. You study. You've been studying the law. You're a master at it. What does the law say? You should know what to do. And the law that Moses was given does tell us what to do, doesn't it? 
And it wasn't until the Spirit of God came at Pentecost that we realized and understood that we can't do what the law tells us to do, to be saved, to be holy, to be with God. So verse 27, look what verse 27 says. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God. This is the man's answer, the the lawyer's answer. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Every believer I know wants to say amen and they stick it on their refrigerator and they got it on their bumper stickers, put it on their Facebook page like we got that figured out. And sometimes we're sitting in church on Sunday morning going, I want to say amen so bad to that, but I know better. I'm up here preaching it like it's like it's God's truth, and it is, but I know good and well that I'm struggling here. Right? And this is Jesus. He's like, okay, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, well, what does the law say? How do you understand it? And he just flat out told him the truth. He understood exactly what the law said. And he said it as if it was a matter of fact. And it is. Look what, he, look what happens next in verse 28 and 29. He says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. And he says, do this and you will live. Don't that let the air out of your balloon. Think about it. If Jesus says to us, do this, verse, 20, uh, verse 27, do that and you can have eternal life. Total, I'm totally defeated if that's the end of the truth right there. Because I don't always love my neighbor like I love myself. I want to, but I don't always do it. And, and, and not only that, I don't always love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. Don't look at me like that. Y'all don't either. Am I right? It's okay to admit it. God knows. Jesus is saying to this man, in, in answer to his question, he's saying, look, since you know so much, and you're trying to trip me up you're trying to challenge me let's just talk about what the law says and why don't you go ahead and do that he says do this and you will live and you know as well as I do when you study the book of Romans that no one not one is righteous we've all fallen short not one is without sin. So therefore, verse 28 tells us all that we, we, we don't have any hope without Jesus. If it's just up to the law, we have no hope. But look, verse 29, here's the reaction of this uh, lawyer. He says, uh, wishing to justify himself. Have you all tried to justify yourself lately? It's a fool. He's trying to justify himself, and he said to Jesus, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Question number two. First question was, how, do, how can I have eternal life? Question number two is, who is my neighbor? 
How many of y'all believe that's the right question to ask? Don't raise your hand. It's not the right question to ask. It was never the right question. He was asking the wrong question. Because his question, he's trying to justify himself, and his question is actually revealing his own heart to everybody. Because the scripture says that not only love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, it says love your neighbor as yourself. So he must figure that he already does the prior loving God part because he didn't ask about that. But he said, okay, well, who's my neighbor? I can only imagine... I mean, Jesus obviously would know how this conversation is going to go, right? If I said to you, uh, we're going to have a big uh, pig picking and I want you all to go invite a bunch of people, it might be a thought, at least a thought. You might even say it out loud. Okay, who do you want me to invite? Maybe, maybe not. It's the same as if Jesus said to us, it, we were, he was here in person or we were, we were with him when he said, go into the world and make disciples of all people, right? Ma- making disciples of, of, of the world. And we say, okay, which one do you want us to preach to? You understand? You understand, you understand what he's doing? He's trying to justify himself. When we try to justify ourselves, you can just plan on failing. Y'all know we need Jesus, right? Badly. Like, praise the Lord every morning and every night that he's faithful to being with us. Regardless of our shortfalls. Okay, so that sets up this for the story. He's asked two questions. How do I have eternal life and who's my neighbor? Proving himself to not be as intellectual as he thought he was. You, you, ever, you ever notice how Jesus gently reveals that to us? Right? The Word of God. We're reading the Word of God and we thought we knew something and we're like, oh, I didn't know. I kind of misunderstood that a bit. It usually happens to me when I'm like by myself reading the Word and nobody's around and I'm thanking the Lord. I'm like, woo, thank the Lord nobody's around because I got to get this figured out. <laughs> I don't want the whole world to see. That I misunderstood this. Of course, everybody knows anyway. Who's my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Uh, I had the man's name in my mind. What's the man's name? Singing about being your neighbor. Way back in the day. Yeah, Mr. Rogers. Y'all know Mr. Rogers? You see a thing up here in the mountain? Don't you want to be my neighbor? I'm not, 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 not really. I don't even know you. <laughs> you know? But the song he was singing, every time I watched it, it was stuck in our minds. Don't you want to be my neighbor? But now when I read this, that's what I think about. He's asking, who is my neighbor? And here Jesus is getting ready to teach him this story. Let's go through it. Jesus replied in verse 30, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, This road is very treacherous and steep and winding, and there's all kinds of places on the road where bandits can hide or bad people can hide to rob people. 
fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Quite often happened on this road, people would travel in large groups to protect themselves. It's easier to get attacked like this when you're by yourself, which uh, obviously it seems like this person was. By the way, if you look in the book, if you look in Luke, and if you read all, all of Luke's writings here, he, he often tells you when he's about to tell a parable. He doesn't say this is a parable at this point. I'm not saying it's not a parable, but I'm just saying in this particular story, he doesn't say it's a parable. So that some people might believe that it, it wasn't a parable. It doesn't really matter. However, it's a story that Jesus uses to teach this man about his neighbor. Or something about knowing his neighbor. So this guy's beaten and he's laying half dead in the ditch on the side of the road. By chance, verse 31, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed uh, by on the other side. The priest, y'all. The man who worked the temple to serve the community when it comes to offering sacrifices and worshiping God. Not only did he go past the man, it says uh, he went and uh, passed by on the other side. You remember, he's a priest. If he helps this man, and this man were found to be dead, and he touched this man who would might be dead and he was dead he would be unclean and he would not be able to serve and do his priestly duties you know that has to go through his mind i'm not saying it was right i'm not saying it was uh, justifiable i'm not saying it was anything that was even reasonable it is logical though for a priest to say uh, i got it I got a responsibility. I got to go to the church and do my work. I can't get involved in that. Hello? So he goes on the other side. Then, likewise, and continuing on, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Not all Levites were priests. They were all in the priestly family or tribe. Some served and helped, but not all. But he does the exact same thing. Some speculate that he does the same thing because maybe he saw uh, the priest go on the other side. So he thought maybe if the priest is doing that, maybe that's what we should do. I feel like that's a bit of spec speculation. There's nothing in the, t in, the, in, the, in the story that Jesus tells us to say that's exactly what happened. But what else would, hap what else would happen to cause this man to go to the other side, aside from not wanting to be involved. Not having the time. Not realizing the situation. Okay? Two people who serve God, who are supposed to be God's people, not only passed by, but went out of their way to go around. This man who is half dead, who was in need, desperate need, grave danger. And they went around on the other side. 
So then Jesus continues his story, and he says, But, verse 33, A Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Uh, let's go to verse 35. And, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him uh, on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. In verse 35, on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Samaritan. Anybody know about Samaritans? A Samaritan is part Jewish and part Assyrian. They are not accepted by the Jewish community. Not only are they not accepted, but they are hated by the Jewish community. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. They both Jewish, the Jewish community and the, and the Samaritans both worshipped God. The Samaritans set up their own temple and their own worship process and everything just the same as the Jewish community, but they just didn't do it together. That's the way it was. And the Samaritan shows up and helps. He didn't just help, y'all. This guy gets involved. Not only did he get involved, not only did he stop his day, not only did he come to find out what, some people show up and say, oh, I wonder what happened over there, and they go find out what happened, and then they're gone. You, you know how many times I see on the news? I've seen it in person when I was uh, working with the police department where I used to live. Something bad happened and someone's hurt. There are people, be ready for this, it's going to shock you, there are people standing around with their cell phone doing this right here. And somebody's over there bleeding out. And they're all just taking pictures, wanting to know what's happening. And sometimes that's happening before any help arrives. When the fire department, when the EMS, when we show up, there's nobody helping, they're just taking pictures. Isn't that, isn't that sad, y'all? What, what, what instigates this Samaritan to get involved with anybody? I mean, they're not treated well by anybody, except for other Samaritans, right? They're not treated well at all. Why should they care about anybody else? It says in verse 33, at the end of verse 33, he said, when he saw him, he what? He felt compassion. He felt compassion. When I think about Jesus on his uh, journey to the cross, he's in the flesh, he's on his way to the cross, and he's making eye contact with people who have sinned against him. The very reason that he's being treated the way he's being treated, the, the reason he's being beaten and tortured and hung on the cross is because of the same people he's looking at in their eyes. 
And our Savior looked at us and had compassion. Because here's the reality, y'all. In case this hadn't ever crossed your mind, even in his worst moment on his journey to the cross, he still had compassion for you. He saw your condition and had compassion for you. Hello? He saw my condition. That, that must have been pitiful condition. That must have been a pathetic state of a, of a being. It's when Jesus, who's being on the cross, bleeding to death, and, he's, and, and, the, and the, the Father has to turn his eyes from him because of my sin, and my Savior's still looking at me and having compassion. How can we not sing Old Rugged Cross? How how dare any believer claim to have his Holy Spirit alive and well and not have compassion on any person? And I'm saying that to self. We, we've all failed. We, we've all been the, the, uh, one of these guys. right? We've all been the priest or we've all been the Levite. God help us if we were the robbers. How, how many times were we, have we been the Samaritan here? Because you know we've all been the, the man laying on, in the ditch and needing help. remember the question was how do I inherit eternal life it's not how do I act good enough to get into heaven it's not how do I do a bunch of good things so I can be with you Lord that wasn't the question the question was how do I have eternal life how do I live forever so Jesus gives him the word he said look look at the law the law says to love me with everything you got and love your neighbor." And he he showed himself when he asked the second question, didn't he? Well, who's my neighbor? And that's exactly the question that the Levite and the priest asked in their own mind. Oh, that's not that he can't be my neighbor. When when we say who's my neighbor, we're saying uh, not everybody is my neighbor. So which one should I minister to? I know we don't mean to say that, but that's what it is. When we're saying to God, who's my neighbor? Jesus is trying to show this lawyer. He's like, everybody is your neighbor. He's not even really saying that. He's saying to this lawyer, he's like, you be a neighbor. If, you do, if we would just be a neighbor, we don't, have to, we don't even have to spend any time at all wondering who we're being a neighbor to. I don't know how many preachers meetings I've been in where we sit around and we pray about things and we talk about how can we get the churches going and how do we minister to people and who should we who should we be catering to when we form our programs? When we what should we do a children's ministry or should we do a, a young people's ministry? Should we do a couples? What should we do? God says, yeah, yes, love people. 
Whoever walks in the door, be ready to minister. Be ready to serve. You understand, you understand where Jesus is going now? This guy, he, look, this guy, this, this, you notice, by the way, let me make this point before I forget. Jesus doesn't tell this story and say the Samaritan's name. You ever, you ever think about that? He doesn't say the Samaritan's name at all. Because it's not important. It's not important that Archie Gilmer served somebody or Archie Gilmer helped somebody. What's important is, is that God used Archie Gilmer to minister to somebody and God gets the glory every time. If we're serving people and helping people so that we can say we're great Christians, we're going to have to preach a different sermon about that. If we haven't figured out it's not about us by now, we're in trouble, y'all. Do we want people to be saved? I want people to be saved. I think you do. Most believers I know do. Right? If, if that's the case, if we want people to be saved, it's, it has to be because that's what God wants. And it really has to be because we realize that without our own salvation, we are bound for hell. And if the ship is sinking, why wouldn't we help other people realize that the ship is sinking? Yeah, there's going to be people that don't believe you. There's going to be people that say, I'm, I'm good. I'll stay on the ship. I'm fine. Ask, ask Noah. For years that guy preached the truth. What are you doing? Building a ship. It's going to rain. Whatever. This guy, this Samaritan, here's how he helped. I'm going to finish it up. I'm, I'm tying it. I'm getting it all down to this. Not only did that he helped, you understand? It's not only that he helped. It's really how he helped. He, him, how much he got involved. He, found, he felt compassion. He got involved and bandaged the guy up. He got his, not only did he get his hands dirty, he got his hands bloody. I know we live in a world where I was like, oh, we got, I got germs. There's germs. You know, there's been plenty of missionaries running around the world preaching the gospel and helping people, serving people, and then catch some disease from those same people and die. Because that's how much they loved people. I'm not sitting here telling y'all to go be foolish. I'm just saying we cannot use what goes on in this world as an excuse why we can't have compassion and help people. He put him on his own animal, his own donkey. He put him up on a donkey and he walked. He walked with that donkey and his, this guy on the animal and took care of him, took him to a place where he can get more care and then paid for it out of his own pocket. Sacrificed. You know this guy had somewhere to be. You understand that? He was on a journey. He was going somewhere and he stopped his life because he had compassion. 
And my question to the believers is, how often are we prepared to stop our life to have compassion for someone whose soul is going to hell? Because that's really what Jesus is talking about, isn't it? It is about, this Good Samaritan story is about helping people in the world, right? When someone needs help, stop and help them change a tire. Stop and help them uh, uh, fix something wrong in their life. Something's happened on the road. Stop and help them. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. Because the man asked, how, what, how, do I, how do I have eternal life? How do I do that? Well, if you love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, then you'll have eternal life. Only people who are saved by the blood of Christ understand that and actually engage in that in, for, in a way that God would have us do. There's a lot of people in the world that are not saved that do good things. Don't get me wrong. But it's the Spirit of God and the blood of Christ that motivates us to have the compassion that it takes to change people's lives so that they would know Jesus. So here's the answer. We're done after these. Jesus says, which of these three do you think, he's talking to the lawyer again, which of these, th these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Quiz time for this guy, Mr. Know-it-all. So the guy answers him. He said, uh, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus says to him, you go and do the same. Correct answer, you go do what he did. This guy couldn't even, he couldn't say the words, the Samaritan. You, you hear what I'm saying? He didn't have it in his heart, this guy. Because Jesus is really telling him, you need to have compassion on this Samaritan the way this Samaritan had compassion on this dude in the ditch. He couldn't, he, 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 that's where his struggle was. He's like, uh, I guess the guy that had compassion. I guess the guy that helped. The guy that actually did ministry, right? So the answer to his question is, you go do the same. And I'm saying to y'all, because we all have the same thing in our mind all the time. How, how can we serve the Lord well? How, how can we make disciples? How can this church grow? How can this church be used for people to get saved? I know you're asking that question. I ask the question all the time. I pray about it all the time. The question is, go and do what the Samaritan did. Or, the, excuse me, the answer is. That's what, that's what the answer is. You, you want people to get saved? Go do what the Samaritan did. The Samaritan didn't go looking for that, did he? He wasn't looking for some guy in a ditch to go help. He was, on a, he was going somewhere else. He was all about his business. All I'm saying is, Jesus is telling us, uh, go about your business and be prepared to serve. And be prepared to help. Get involved in the world. Look around. Because here's the reality, and I hate this reality. Every day, because we're not paying attention, we're missing opportunities. I don't even think it's because we have a, a bad heart. I don't think it's because we don't care. 
I think we're not having compassion because because I'm about my business and I'm worried about my day. I don't have time to stop and have compassion because I'm focused on what I got to do for self. And it's tough, isn't it? Because we got responsibilities. And there's things going on. All Jesus is saying is, get tuned in to what's really happening. And the more this happens in your life, the more you're going to start noticing. It doesn't have to be as drastic as this guy in the ditch. It don't. It could be as simple as uh, helping somebody cross the street. It could be as simple as carrying somebody's groceries to the car. It could be as simple as mowing your neighbor's grass. It could be as simple as cooking your minister some barbecue. (laughs) Just saying. It don't have to be that drastic. But it can be, and it might be, and it probably will be the more we get involved in what the Lord's doing in the world. I think every healthy church who's engaged in ministry should be overly excited about what God is doing in their own lives and in their church. Uh, The neighbors are going to have to tell us to quiet down because we're so excited about what the Lord's doing and what we've seen and what we've experienced. And we're going to be flat wore out. Tired from all the things that God is doing and using us for to help other people. That's what the Lord has called us to do. He's called us to get involved. That's what he showed us how to do. Right? You remember when he was doing all those miracles, healing people? He didn't heal healthy people. He healed sick people. Sometimes he touched them and sometimes he didn't. He hung out with them sometimes and sometimes he just said some words and somewhere on the other side of the world, somebody was healed. Same God, y'all. Same message. Same world. Are we getting involved? Saved, uh, you're, I don't know what you're waiting on. If you're not saved, you are the person in the ditch right now. And I want to help you. The Bible says that repent of being an offender of God. Confess that Jesus is the Christ. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit right there in Acts chapter 2, plain as day. At just the beginning, then we start learning how to minister.